This is The Guardian. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Hello and welcome to the Guardian Football Weekly, an alphabetical team-by-team preview of the Premier League over two pods. We'll be asking the big questions, which team did the panel completely forget when predicting the table? How many of them put Burnley in by mistake? There's all the things, the title race, the top four, the Everton Cup, whatever that is these days, mid-table obscurity and the battle to avoid the drop. We'll guess some narratives, work out the impact of five substitutes in a Winter World Cup. Today the focus is from AFC Bournemouth to lead so if you're only interested in the second half you'll have to wait 24 hours as always we'll answer your questions and that's today's guardian football weekly callum writes who do you predict will make the best premier league prediction in this week's premier league prediction show can it come from today's panel nader manuaha welcome hey good to see you good to see you max nice to see you barry glenn denning hello Hi, Max. And Troy Townsend, it's my birthday. Troy Townsend, happy birthday. Well, belatedly, that's fine. But thank you very much. Really appreciate it. Good to be back. It's it's my pleasure. Nathan says, the Premier League starts this weekend, doesn't it, Barry? Yes, it does. And uh, I, I suspect a large part of today's prediction show is going to be taken over with uh, controversial bickering over who we go with first. Because in every Premier League table I look at, Bournemouth are top on alphabetical order, and I'm just not having that, Max. It's we're starting with Arsenal. Well, I the the script as producer Joel had Arsenal in front, but I had heard you ranting, so I've put Bournemouth uh, in front. Um, Liam says, "Is Barry going to keep with podcast tradition and predict for Burnley to be relegated from the Premier League this season?" Andrew says, "Which team will you forget now that Burnley are in the Championship?" Rich says, "Who will fill the Burnley-shaped hole for maximum disdain?" Matt, can you ask Barry to cover Burnley's hopes of survival and see if he notices? Sola, I confess, when I wrote my table out this morning, I forgot Leeds and Brighton. Troy, did you remember them all? <laughs> of course, I remembered them all. I had them all in front oh, of me yeah. dotted out. Yeah, so I, I couldn't. Uh, so, <laughs> oh, like you moved them around like a like a detective. There you That's go. So exciting. <laughs> What about, Nathan? we only gave you 20 minutes notice to predict a Premier League table. Did you remember all the teams? Uh, kind of, kind of. But no, I'm, I'm not perfect. I'm not perfect. And I expect to get this very, very wrong as well. So I'll let the fun begin. I'm not sure how you can you can kind of remember them all. You either remember them all or you didn't. <laughs> no, I was, I was like, I was, I was going I was going through I was going through it but I didn't think about Burnley I did not think about them but interestingly even though it's at the top of the list I forgot Bournemouth were in the premiership that's that's the thing that really let me down even though it's it's 
the first for some reason. Can we just talk briefly on what we think the impact of five substitutes will be? I, I, I feel this is a real, it's an extra test for managers, Troy, this. I'm not a fan. Um, I'm not a fan at all. I just think that, again, it makes the those that have the, obviously, depth in squad, and that's obviously the, the, the bigger clubs more than anything else. Um, I think that depth comes into play more and more and more. You know, they've got more game changers on their bench. They have the alternative to, obviously, you know, Champions League days and Europa League days make some significant changes. And I just think it's an unfair balance. Um, I do get the but, fact... But, Troy, but, but it's interesting that, you know, 14 teams voted for this. So some, some inverted commas, smaller teams voted for it. Well, apparently. Um, but having spent some time with a, a Premier League chairman recently, sometimes they don't vote in the way that they, they may want to vote. And I'm not saying that there's much influence there at all. Um, but it, it's, listen, I understand it in regards to player welfare, etc. But I just think that it's an unfair balance. Um, but there are a lot of games and, you know, the top clubs do play up to 60 again, or maybe more during, you know, when you think that the pre-season has, has come into play and there's there's not been much of a gap. But I, I, I don't know, I just, just think it creates an unfair advantage and, uh, you know, those bigger squads with the bigger depth uh, will benefit more than, than others. Who were you talking to? Are you saying Farhad Mashiri? <laughs> Farhad Mashiri uh, doesn't vote for what he wants. Is that what you're saying? Uh, my lips are sealed. Um, Nadim, thoughts on five subs? I have a couple, to be fair. I think the I get the argument that the teams up at the top will have an unfair advantage. But then I feel like the teams at the top already have an unfair advantage. You know, so as far as that goes, those guys are probably still going to be in the same sort of position, relatively speaking. And the thing which my other thought with this is, you know, when you think about five subs, first, I imagine most managers won't be using five subs throughout most games. But the way when you really look at it, most subs in a game, they don't really change the defenders, don't really change the goalkeeper. They unlikely will change like a defensive midfielder. So unless you've got like, you know, five attackers that are just there ready to go, like here comes the the B squad attacking element, let's go and get them. Like I, I just, for me, I just can't see five subs happening in every single game. It just feels like a lot. That's half an outfield team. Is that really good? what's going to be happening on a week-to-week basis? I can't see it. I mean, I sort of think that it, in a bit like the women's Euros, right, you'll just, you might start, managers might start having finishers you know we might just the game might change a bit like that but I know players won't want that but but that could happen but that's the thing you the, the bit which you've hit, hit on the head there is players themselves like are five players every single week going to be saying fair enough I can't play 90 minutes anymore you know I'm just going to get my 60 70 in and then off I pop I don't think that's going to be as big a thing to be honest with you but I'm more than happy to be proven wrong and you know if they've signed up for it then then great, but also the worst feeling in the world will be when you're one of the subs that doesn't even get on when the five have happened. You know, that's that's when you know you're in big, big trouble. Um, any Barry, do you, do you think the Winter World Cup will... Well, it's, it's very hard to know what impact that will have on the Premier League season. Uh, it is, obviously. We, we have to wait and see, but obviously some teams will be hugely affected and possibly it's the kind of teams who will benefit from the five substitutes rule will be most adversely affected by the World Cup because they have better players who will be probably going to the World Cup. Uh, Some teams, some squads won't have, you know, will almost get a month holiday in the the middle of the season. Um, There's a couple of squads who will only possibly have two or three players going. So you'd imagine they will benefit from that. But um, 
I I can't see it making a huge amount of difference to the you know we more or less know who the top six are going to be we more or less we have a fair idea who the bottom four or five are going to be and I think you could do anything in the middle of the season <laughs> it's not really going to affect that it's almost not worth playing the season out is it because we, <laughs> we we know everything let's start with AFC Bournemouth then with my apologies to to Barry uh, came second in the championship last year. They've brought in Marcus Tavernier from Middlesbrough and Ryan Fredericks. Not they've not really done much, have they, Troy, in the transfer market? And you fear for Bournemouth, you really do, don't you? Absolutely, already. Um, I'll take them from the very top to the very bottom, probably, unless they do something significant in the few weeks that are left in the transfer window. Uh, the Premier League is unforgiving, and if you don't stock up almost on on what you had when you went down. Um, despite them having obviously a great season uh, last season, I just I just think that it, it's going to be a big big struggle. Um, you know, this is the kind of season where you always have to start well, and you think to yourself, well, if you can get some points in early doors, um, then actually that may hold you in good stead. But I'm sorry, there's nothing about Bournemouth that I think will survive. Um, so if there are Bournemouth uh, fans listening in, I'm really sorry, um, but you're probably thinking the same as me, to be totally honest. Um, but let's wait for a couple of weeks. Let's see what signings they get. But they are my rock bottom at the moment, if I can reveal that. Yeah, you can. I, they're mine as well. Nadem, what, what are your thoughts on Bournemouth? Well, I didn't have them rock bottom, but I did have them 19th. So um, we can we can work around that. But I, I think I'm the same as you guys. Like seeing them come up, it was was great. But then this window as it stands, like Tavenia is a good player and Fredericks is a good player, but it doesn't feel like the type of... Premier League experience and know-how that's going to get you across the line if you want to try and stay in the division. So they'll need to be very, very competitive. And in some ways, I imagine they believe they'll be as competitive as Fulham, as competitive as Forrest and maybe a couple others. But I don't know. It's it's such a, it's an interesting position to be in when you come up from the championship playing a certain way with a certain group of players because then do you just blow that up and start fresh when you're in the Premier League? Because then if that goes wrong, what do you do when you go back down to the championship? So I guess they've tried to sort of continue with who they who they were I suppose time will tell us to see whether that's good enough because you know it's a very very tough league but maybe they must believe this is all they need to stay up did, did you I, I haven't checked your Wikipedia recently Nadam have did you ever come up and then play it like you know I think I think you definitely went down talk about talk about an attack I didn't check your Wikipedia <laughs> but you definitely went down all oh, right so you know that it's good to know <laughs> Yes, Max. Um, yeah, so I went up with QPR uh, once. Actually, it was just once, and we were um, we were we were all right. In fact, so sorry. Let me split this in two parts. So the, the time when we went up was after 2014. We won in the playoff final against Derby. Some call it a robbery. Some call it just a win in a game of football. Whatever. Um, Definitely then, a robbery. Yeah, <laughs> and then we um, and then we didn't really invest that heavily at that point. And we were bad that next season. Like we we stunk it up basically, and we deserved to go down because we just weren't good enough. You know, we were trying, but we just weren't good enough. But after the 2012 season, when we stayed up on the last day, we tried to build and we brought in some real significant talent like Julio Cesar's, Bossingwas, and Esteban Graneros and stuff like this. So we had a real high caliber type of players coming in. But we also stunk it up, and we also <laughs> deserved to go down. 
So in terms of trying to find the right sort of balance, it's a, it's a tough one. I think for Bournemouth, maybe coming up with a certain identity which they can get behind, maybe that'll be more like, say, uh, Brentford did last season. So they'll be more confident understanding what they need to do. And maybe this whole sort of like unraveling of an identity isn't necessarily the best thing. So I can't tell you what the formula is because unfortunately, I uh, I never figured it out. How about that? For people who don't watch the championship and you know, know Bournemouth just to stare at them occasionally, they will see some good old faces. Your Phil Billings, your Adam Smiths, your Jefferson Lermers. But, but uh, Lewis Cook, yeah. uh, Dominic Solanke. I mean, I, that's my concern. I look at that Bournemouth squad and it's worryingly similar to the one that got relegated two seasons ago. Uh, and it's, it's an obvious thing to say, but much of how they fare will depend on if Dominic Solanke can hack it in the Premier League or not. He got 29 goals in the Championship last season, I think 15 the season before, but the, the season Birmingham or Bournemouth went down, he got three. He was just not good enough for the Premier League. Will he be good enough? Kiefer Moore is there. Uh, never played in the Premier League before. Will he be able to hack it in the top flight? So I I give them little or no chance uh, of staying up. I have them 19th. Scott Parker as well. He's I like him, but he seems quite a cautious manager and their approach in the championship last season was take a lead and then sit on it, defend it and, you know, try and close it out. That's not going to happen very often in the Premier League. You know, they will be going behind. Will he be able to adapt his approach to 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 overcome that? So I I can't see them staying up. Sorry, can I just say I've got them 19th as well because I can't find my 20th team. So <laughs> <laughs> That's what I wanted to see. This is why this is the world's biggest football podcast. You, you know, it's okay. So you've only got 19 in there and you're like, you can't. Have you left out Crystal Palace? You may have noticed that I wasn't paying much attention just now because <laughs> when Nadam said 19, I thought, oh, so have I. They're 19. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, uh, bear with me. I- I'm listening. No, that's okay. Because if you haven't forgotten one of the 10 teams who are alphabetically first, you can get away with it. <laughs> if it's Southampton, you can get away with it. Um, they play Vi- uh, Villa at home on Saturday at 3 o'clock. Uh, let's go to Arsenal next, uh, fifth last year. Gabriel Jesus has come in. Alexander Zinchenko, for both from Man City. Fabio Vieira has come in from Porto. Um, Lacazette's gone. Tavares has gone to Marseille. Granduzzi, who's at Marseille anyway, is gone. Um, Arsenal fans are getting quite excited, Troy, um, about their pre-season. Jesus getting a hat-trick uh, in a 6-0 win at the Emirates. They beat Chelsea in another game, didn't they? Um, what, are you, what are your thoughts? They, they play Palace away first on Friday night and you just go, oh no, that's not fair on Arsenal to make them lose again on Friday night. Yeah, I mean, shades of the Brentford game for sure. I'm actually quite worried about, they're, they're a funny team, they're a funny makeup, um, and and hopefully I don't get criticised. I'm excited by Jesus, to be totally honest. I think he, you know, he's going to look at that as a real challenge, you know, Pep letting him go. He's going to be the main man. There's no Lacazette around, um, you know, so... As he's already proved, he's playing with a smile on his face and he's putting the ball in the back of the net. That's all you ask for, you know, your big transfer signing to come in. Zivchenko's another good signing, you know, adaptable, can play also obviously centre mid if they need someone in there. I just still worry about their central defence. I I just, I'm not sure in in the biggest games or even sometimes in games where they just switch off and they give, uh, you know, teams the, the, the opportunity to get at them and, and then the kind of whole thing around the team, makeup around the team just breaks up. But 
listen, they've made some good signings. Fabio Vieira is a good sign. I'm interested to see him at how he starts this season as well. Um, but they're a side, again, who are going to be, I think they're going to be a little bit hit and miss. Um, they'll get the goals, but will they be able to keep them out of the back, I think, is, is my thing. Nadim? Yeah, so Arsenal, very interesting. It feels like they are the champions of preseason for all the positivity we've heard around them and the results in games like that. And it does feel like they're better. It really does. And also being um, in Manchester and seeing um, Jesus and Zinchenko go down there, like speaking to some City fans, it's, it's, a, it's such an interesting take on it all because they're really worried about what those two players can do against City and in the league. But then if you go back two months, if those two players weren't starting, most people weren't writing angrily worded tweets at Man City saying they should be starting. You know, so it's like those guys are, are very good and they've been a significant part of why City have been successful over the years. But it's not like their names have been in like Sharpie for every single game that gets played. So they are very good, but they're not the most important players at City. But City now believe that that's Arsenal going to another level. And, may and maybe it is, maybe it is. Because as Troy was saying, like Jesus goes there with like a desire to prove himself. Same for Zinchenko. These guys, like this is going back to the conversation we had earlier about substitutions for City and for these other big clubs, you could say like the players or just clubs in general, if you sit on the bench, you're disappointed because you believe you're good enough to be able to play. So you can have this squad depth, but there's always going to be a level of disappointment. Like who accepts a role just on the bench when you're as good as you are. So for them, if they get in there and they're playing week in, week out under a manager slash coach who they've had in the past when he was at City and Arteta, and this is the task to try and climb the league and, get into the Champions League and so on. You know, it's great and it does feel like Arsenal have improved. But um, this is this is going to be a wider point I was going to say at the end. this We're at the stage of the season where everybody's hopeful, but reality doesn't allow that hope to be met by many, to be honest. And I think for Arsenal, I, I'm i going to say it, I can see them finishing fifth again. I, can, I literally can see that, even though I believe that they're a better side. Mm. Same, I have them fifth. Barry, where have you got them? Uh, I have actually have them third. Wow. Um... I, when I was doing my homework for this yesterday, I started wondering how much of my adult life I have spent either for professional purposes or out in the pub talking about Arsenal. And it's a, a disturbing amount of time <laughs> considering they're a team whose success or failure I am totally indifferent to. I could not care less what happens to Arsenal. But I, we we seem to talk about them so much for a team that achieves so little, and I I think this could be a good season for them that they finish top four, and I think Mikel Arteta knows what he's doing. And then I start seeing clips from this Amazon documentary that's coming out about Arsenal, uh, of him giving a dressing room talk or him taking a training session, and then I, I go, no, he's he's actually a clown. He's a complete imbecile. <laughs> I, so sorry, I, I haven't I, ha I haven't seen these clips, Barry. Can you can you give us a bit more depth? Uh, well, right. There's a training session. I'm still not sure whether this is a spoof or not. There, it's ahead of a Liverpool match, so he has one of his staff bring out speakers to play the sound of a Liverpool crowd singing "You'll Never Walk Alone" while his players are having a practice game. And then there's a speech, a dressing room speech, where he's he starts writing things on a whiteboard 
And by the end of it, it, it looks like a murder board in, in a detective <laughs> drama. And it's just absolute horseshit, the stuff he's coming out with. So I, I have no idea whether Arsenal would be any good or not this season. I have no idea whether Mikel Arteta is a good manager or not. I suspect they will win some big games and they will lose some games they probably shouldn't lose. No doubt, beginning on Friday when they lose against Palace. Yet you have them third. Yeah, but I mean, I mean, you're contradicting these yourself, Barry, aren't you? No, I, I have them third. It's it's more in in an act of good faith than anything. I'm not confident. I mean, I have Tottenham fourth. I'm no no confidence in them either. Uh, I have Everton 14th, but the only reason I don't have them bottom is because I'm pretty certain Frank Lampard will be sacked by November and they'll get someone in who knows what he's doing. With those speakers, how big were the speakers? Because like, to recreate You'll Never Walk Alone at Anfield, you can't... Like, did he bring out like a little travel... You know, you know, like one of those little travel ones you connect your phone um, to? <laughs> like, like... I suppose it was about the size of a biscuit tin on a stand. Like, <laughs> it, it wasn't a big stack. <laughs> but like... You know, that, if I was a player and a manager did that, I'd resign. I'd, I'm sorry, I don't want to play for you anymore. You're, you're an idiot. Uh, I think it's interesting that he's gone for the for the music thing. And basically, he's highlighting the fact that it's tough to play at Anfield. You know, most teams know that. But, you know, the other side of this, he's probably looking for the reaction that his players give as well. So if someone like Barry said, I've had enough, he's like, well, I guess we didn't need him anyway. You know what I mean? So... Like if if a manager does something that you believe is absurd, but you want to play, you still take it seriously because at the end of the day, you know every single week you go out there with the tactics the manager's given you to do, but it doesn't mean you necessarily believe in them. But it's your job to try and like do them to the highest ability to see if they work. And I guess for Arteta, that's that's kind of what the players would have been going for. Well, the, the logic behind it was he said um, that the only time he ever froze during a game was at Anfield and he said I was standing in the middle of the pitch with just red shapes whizzing back mm. and forth around me and I, I didn't there was nothing I could do like I didn't know what to do so I think he wanted to make sure that didn't happen his player maybe, yeah, maybe that maybe he's playing the music for himself so that he can try and <laughs> overcome that that stress and trauma that he had back then but in fairness to Liverpool like they sing that song at the start and at the end you've usually got 90 minutes to try and figure it out I guess I have him fifth Troy oh, I've got them fourth Okay, Nadim, fifth for you. Yeah, I, I, okay. I put them fifth and I can hear the keyboards going already <laughs> because apparently, you know, this media thing, people say, well, the three teams have got to cover the most. Not necessarily on this show. It's United, Liverpool and Arsenal. So I'm sure they're all very, very angry right now. Please leave me alone. All right, that'll do for part one. Part two, we'll begin with Aston Villa. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game-changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. 
Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly. Aston Villa then came 14th last year. Uh, they brought in Diego Carlos, a centre-back from Sevilla. Uh, Coutinho signed um, permanently. Bubica Kamara's coming from Marseille, a holding midfielder. Uh, Matt Target and Trezeguet are out the door. Uh, Matt Target had gone anyway. Um, Philippe Claire, I, I checked with him. He's talked about Kamara before. Apparently, he's very. he says he is a very, very, very good footballer. Barry, how do you see Aston Villa faring? I have them finishing 10th. I, they're a, f- a funny team. They, I mean, they lost half their games last season. They only won 23 points out of 57 available at home. Their home record was very poor. Uh, I think Bubakar Kamara will be a very good signing. Uh, also, Diego Carlos. I see there has been some controversy. Steven Gerrard has taken the captaincy off Tyrone Mings and given it to John McGinn, which suggests uh, Tyrone Mings' place could be in jeopardy, uh, particularly with the arrival of Diego Carlos from Seville, which means he his England place may be in jeopardy, so you worry for old Tyrone. Stephen Gerrard has also got Neil Critchley in as his assistant, former Liverpool coach and Blackburn man- or Blackpool manager. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I think they will have a mid-table finish. I, they could possibly struggle, but I, I can't see it. I think they've too much, too many good players. I remain unconvinced by Steven Gerrard, but he needs to have a good season if, you know, as we all, it's no great secret that he, he wants to be Liverpool manager at some point, And I think he needs a good season, but I can't see them challenging for a European place. Um, how how will Tyrone Mings be feeling, Nadim? I mean, he tweeted not very humbly. He's a smart bloke, isn't he? Look, that that he's loved leading this team. Anyone knows John McGinn knows how infectious he is. It'll be an honour to play underneath his captaincy. It's about what's right for Aston Villa. Blah blah blah. But what's he really thinking? If if I knew the real reasons why he's lost it, then I think that would sort of define my answer. But either way, to be captain on the side for the time that he did, and to overall be playing well for the side. And then a new manager comes in, all of a sudden you're just not captain anymore, nor vice captain, nor like vice captain's assistant assistant or the vice captain's intern or anything like that. I think it kind of, it, it's, it's. I think it would be alarming to you. It really, really would, especially as another centre-back arrives as well. Like you, there's nothing to say that everything will fall into place the way it looks like it is, but it kind of looks like, you know, he's on his way out or he doesn't have the influence that he once had there. And when you look around the squad and see that it's mostly the same, but now you're not the, that same person, you know, that is going to be a big blow for him. And because he's a smart guy, you know, he'll say the right things and do the right things and he will try his best. And I'm sure with the World Cup on the horizon, if he ends up not playing, he'll try and play elsewhere. But, you know, you you probably off the top of your head couldn't name 10 people that have gone from just being a regular captain to being nothing all of a sudden in the team that's basically stayed the same. So it's not a great spot for him to be in. And I'm sure he's going to be looked at in a sort of funny way, but he'll, he'll do his best because he's a good pro. But yeah, nobody wants to have that on the CV or their Wikipedia should you ever choose to go and look at it, Max. Um, <laughs> um, Troy, um, like on their day, exciting team. They've got some exciting players, haven't they, going forward, Aston Villa? Yeah, um, but on their day has to happen more than what it happened last season. Um, I agree with, with Baz. I think this is a crucial season for Steven Gerrard and his young uh, kind of managerial career in the Premier League. I also think this is a crucial season for Philippe Coutinho. You know, there's a lot of hype about him. Um, he came in, did well to start with, then tailed off 
But let's see him after a good preseason. Now he hasn't had a happy period over the last couple of years, and you know if he if he gets back to the anywhere near the Coutinho we saw for Liverpool, and the reason why Barca wanted him so much, um, then I think that kind of good season could come into play for Villa. But it depends what your class as a good season. You know, is is just outside the European places or in the European places? You know, is that a good season for Villa? It, I think that's got to be their benchmark, but I'm not sure if they're going to make it, to be totally honest. I just don't think there's enough dots that connect and question marks over the manager, I think, have to remain. Um, I have them ninth. Uh, Troy? I've got them. I've just put my numbers next to it, so this is now easy. Yeah. I've got them 10th. Nathan? I've got them 12th. Okay. And Barry, you had them 10th, ten, uh, right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Brentford's 13th last year, second season syndrome for them. Um, they brought in Keane Lewis Potter from Hull, Aaron Hickey from Bologna, uh, Strakowska from Lazio, and Ben Mees coming from Burnley. Um, Christian Eriksen obviously signed for Manchester United. Um, how big a deal is is that, Nadim? Do you think Eriksen not being there? Yeah, I think that, I think that is a huge deal. You know, you can see the quality that he had to the end of last season. He added a sort of dynamic which maybe they didn't have before that because you know there was a spell where they seemed like they were freewheeling down the table. So that is going to be a big blow. And unfortunately for players like that, you can't just just go and find them elsewhere, especially if you recruit the way that they do, which is, you know, the credit to them and their identity. But it's you mentioned it, it's that second season thing. You know, I'm I'm very curious to see how they do this year, whether they sort of add a little bit to what they had, if they think they can continue with how they were playing in the past. And it's going to be, I think it's going to be a, potentially a tough year for them. I think the sign of Ben Mee is good. He's a... He's a northern boy moving down south for the first time, so that might take some adjustment. But he's somebody who's the bright, the bright lights of London. Oh, I've seen those bright lights of West <laughs> London. Oh, trust me. But uh, yeah, he's uh, he's he's a good guy, and I think he I think he'd be a good part of that team to try and just add a bit more understanding in terms of what it requires to stay in the Premier League for say multiple years. But again, with Brentford, like they're a really ambitious club. I remember when they were in the Championship, I was doing a radio show with I think one of the directors or something, and he said. There's no difference between teams outside of the, I think he said top seven in the Premier League and like the bottom four or something in League One. And I thought, right, that is a very, very big take, which has been delivered with all your chest on national radio. So I, so I doubt that them finishing 13th last year is going to have them saying, yeah, 13th is who we are. Maybe they'll aim higher, but unfortunately, I think they'll end up being a bit lower, but I don't think they'll go down. So I've actually got them in 17th. I have put them 10th, Troy. I'm not sure why. Mainly because I, mainly because I'm not sure how. I think there are lots of teams who I'm. I don't think are that great or won't be that great this season. But you can tell me I'm wrong. No, it's it's not that you're wrong. There's this, uh, you know, the teams that I've got from tenth to to eighteenth. It's hard, isn't it? It's hard. Yeah, yeah. I think <laughs> you, could, you could push them around anywhere, throw the dice out, and give them that number. I have many a good friend at Brentford, so I hope they're not listening to this. I think they're going to struggle. I just think this this second season syndrome, the the loss of Ericsson and and like Nadam says, he was the catalyst to to them kind of getting excited again because they were in free fall. At one stage they're almost dropping into um not the bottom three, but nearly the bottom four. And Ericsson ignited them in a way that I'm not quite sure many of us expected. Um their signings have been decent. If they get Damsgaard, that's another good one. I, ben Mee, I listen. I think he's he's a great player. He's a leader. He's he's obviously done so well at Burnley, but you're taking him out of a comfort zone, um, and a comfort zone in a in a new kind of 
like you say, the bright lights of West London. I'm not, I'm not sure. And like I said, I hope they're not listening. I've got them in 18th. Wow. Oh dear, our first team, our first Ooh. team relegated. Oh, <laughs> we, I think oh, we relegated for No, no, I mean, okay, our first team that may not get relegated, relegated. <laughs> yeah. uh, <laughs> I've got We're, them in 18th, I'm sorry. All right. I'm sorry. No, no, don't apologise, you've got to, you know. That's, I'm that's, more worried about poor old Ben Mee, who everyone <laughs> seems to think is... You know, some bumpkin down in London who's going to develop alcoholism and a drug habit. (laughs) I rate him, you know, he's he's a great human being first and foremost. And obviously, you know, Burnley missed him when he was out for quite a period of time last year. It's it's a massive transition for anybody. Um, You know, you've played for a struggling side that have survived for so long. You then go down with that side um, you know, you make this, it's a massive move. It is a massive move for him. I'm quite sure it's a massive move for his family as well. Um, and it will be interesting, put it this way, it'll be interesting to see how he adapts. If he adapts and does well and they become defensively solid, then I'll rip up the script and, and send them up the table. But at the moment, I have my concerns. It feels unlikely that the man who's carbon offsetting his transfer is they're going to spend the entire season at China Whites, <laughs> Get, getting larrocked. I don't, Nadem. It's one of those cliches of football. The the bright lights of London seems one of the most ridiculous. You know, you're in Manchester. I think you can probably, if you want to go off the rails, you could probably do it in Manchester, right? You don't need to be in London. You know, there, there are some bright lights. Well, there. They have light bulbs in Manchester. Yeah, yeah. Let me let me, let me, me split this in two, though. Like, knowing Ben the way that I do, like, he's not really a bright, bright lights guy, but he's a family guy. So when you've been in the same place for 10 years, having to move all your family to somewhere completely new and try and figure out your roots in that space, especially when, you know, he's not like at an age where he's going to play for another five, 10 years, is it? Potentially, you know, who knows, but it doesn't look that way. So it's a big upheaval. It's a big change in a place when you were exceptionally comfortable beforehand, because, you know, as you get older, those factors influence in a move. Like, you know, they're different when you've got a wife, when you've got kids, you've got other things going on. But yeah, those bright lights in London, like, it's just Manchester is, is good, is, is good. But like, you can't really, you can't really disappear. Whereas when you're in London, like, if you're a footballer, like, so what? Here's a film star. Here's a billionaire. Here's a this, here's a that. So for those people who want to go and really get after it, and that's not Ben, trust me, by any means. Like, I see people get lost there. Like, that M4 is literally, like, <laughs> just a conveyor belt taking people into West London. I'm like, are you guys okay? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm just, I'm, just on, I'm just going down there again. I'm just going down there again because it's, uh, it could be quite an experience. Nadam, that second good when you said about Man, you said it's good and you said it's good. <laughs> I like the second good you said about Manchester. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's true, it's true. Uh, Richard says, with uh, Darwin Nunes and Erling Haaland being tipped for the golden boot, do you think Ethan Pinnock is being overlooked? <laughs> <laughs> Leave Ethan alone. Okay, uh, they kick off on Sunday, two o'clock against Leicester City. Uh, Brighton, ninth last year. They brought in Julio Enciso, a striker from Libertad in Paraguay. Uh, they brought in someone called Simon Adingra from Nordjylland, but they've already loaned him out to their feeder club, Union SG in Belgium. I didn't know Brighton had a feeder club, so I learned that this morning. Oh, Brighton have a feeder club, Union SG in Belgium, who beat Rangers in Champions League qualifying last night, which led me to wonder, 
are Brighton the only club in existence whose feeder club are more successful than they are? <laughs> do they have to? Do they then have to swap? I mean, to be fair, they got a very dodgy penalty, didn't they? That uh, Rangers fans are furious about. And I tweeted, "This isn't a penalty," and obviously that just began a sectarian debate on my timeline that I just didn't need to have. Uh, um, uh, Basuma's gone to Spurs. That that is a big loss, isn't it, Nadim? Yeah, he certainly is. He's a very, very good player for them, and just a very good player overall. So this them approaching this season like with the signings they they've had have you seen like they, they're quite young as well i think the strikers maybe 18 or something like that um and see so i think the he's, he's five foot six which i'm very i like a tiny strike a yeah that, that's that's pretty tiny to be fair so you're wondering like they so they did obviously finishing ninth last year is very very impressive they did it in so many waves or like the start of the season everything was great then they didn't really win a game for like 10, but they drew like six of them or something. So people are unhappy. But come the end of the season, finishing top 10 as as Brighton, that, you know, that is incredible. But have those signings made you think that they're going to be sort of staying where they are progressing? I, I don't think so. It feels like maybe they're going in the other direction as such. And also, that's because for me, like they drew 15 games last year. And I think this is similar to Crystal Palace, who we'll get onto. We perceive them to be good teams and they are. But that perception is because they don't lose a lot as opposed to the fact that they win a lot. So some of those games, how do you get across the line in those? And, you know, sometimes it comes down to the signings. And I look at, say, Brighton, and I don't think, I don't think they uh, continue that top 10 form this year based on who they've got right now and who they've lost. Alex says, with Cucurella being priced at 50 million, David Luiz going for 50 million and Fellaini at 35, is there a big hair tax <laughs> in the Premier League? Um, but he would be a big last Troy as well yeah I mean I watched a lyrical about him last year um, I thought he had an, an amazing season um, it looks like he's going to land at Chelsea although if Man City decided they want to up their bid somewhere along the line he may decide that that you know that that's been the club that he's always wanted to join um, listen I was going to call him Harry Potter a minute ago so Gra- Graham Potter has done amazing things at Brighton but you know when everybody watches Brighton, when, you know, all the analysis is done about Brighton, it's always about they don't score enough goals. Um, and listen, if the young lad comes in and, and, and does well as a five foot six, 18 year old playing in the Premier League, brilliant. But it's something that I feel they needed to address and they, they almost needed to address with guaranteed goals. Um, you know, they get into the right positions, they play in the right areas. Maybe do they overplay a little bit? So, you know, like Nadam has just said there, it's it's now about getting over the line and progressing further up the up the table. And, you know, 10th is a great landmark, but I think they're going to be falling this year unless we see a couple of new signings come in um, before the window shuts. Uh, and CISO is not their shortest player. Tarek Lamptey is five foot five. They also have the tallest player in the Premier League, Kel Sherpin, their goalkeeper, who is six foot eight. Sam says, would you rather a team of Sherpins or a team of Lamptees, <laughs> Well, you, you're going to need at least one goalkeeper, aren't you? Uh, yeah, I don't, that that uh, Paraguayan kid, he, he made his debut for uh, his senior debut in, in Paraguay as a 15-year-old. So he, if he's that, I didn't realise he was that small. So he must be have something about him, but... Yeah, goals is their Brighton's problem. I think another problem Brighton could face this season is if one of the bigger teams in the league, if if a manager gets the the tin tack, I'd say Potter will be the first port of call for. Or it'll be him or Maurizio Pochettino who who people will want. So I think Brighton could lose him at some point during the season. 
But I, I have them 11th. I have them 11th. Nadem? Oh, gosh. I have them 14th. I don't like being the downer. Mm. Troy? I have them 15th. All right, there you go. <laughs> Troy's trying to relegate everybody, basically. Um, Chelsea then, third last year. Raheem Sterling's come in. Uh, Koulibaly's come in. Uh, Lukaku, Rudiger, Christensen all gone. They might get Kukurella as well. Um, how, how do you think Sterling will go, Nadem? I think he's he's like um, in Jesus Inchenko. He arrives there almost like with a point to prove. And I think for Chelsea, bringing in a player who's still in their, you know, almost mid-20s, with potentially, you know, if we go off like old footballing cliches, his best years ahead of him. He's not quite reached his peak yet. And he's somebody who scored 100 goals in the Premier League. You know, that's that's an exciting signing. I think the only downside is like, it feels like Chelsea are going through somewhat of a transition. So I think if you added him to the set system and everything that was very stable before, then I think he probably has a bigger impact from the get-go. But for now, like, you know, Chelsea might believe that they can win the league this year, which is perfectly fair. But is that how we feel from the outside looking at them? Probably not, because I think for as good as the signings have been, because I, I like Koulibaly, you know, I like Sterling a lot. doesn't feel like they've really progressed. And when you think about the fact that last year, obviously with injuries and the like, they they finished in the top four, but it wasn't like they were solidly in there for the last two months of the season. It does make you wonder, but Sterling's, for me, he's, you know, he's, he's a very good player. He's one of my favourite players. Obviously, he's not perfect and people like to sort of highlight his weaknesses as such. But when a player's in his mid-20s, he scored over 100 goals in the Premier League. You know, he starts week in, well, he starts every game for England, basically. And he's arrived now in his area of West London, you know, down that M4 corridor, <laughs> taking you into those bright lights again. You know, why would he not do well? Because now he feels like he's at home. You know, he did a great job up north for Liverpool and for City, but now he feels like he's at home back in those areas. So I expect big season from him. But who knows what Chelsea are really going to be like? Because as it stands, I just don't know what to make of them. I have this image now of Raheem Sterling and Ben Mee <laughs> giving it large. Of course, <laughs> Down the of West course. End. <laughs> um, I, I, I think Sterling's a brilliant signing, Troy. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. I mean, to get him for the price they did as well um, is an absolute steal when you look at his stats and when you look at, you know, he's an English Premier League player, so he doesn't have to transition at all. Um, I think he hits the ground running. Um, but I think Chelsea have massive problems um, in regards to there seems to be so much uncertainty about that club. They're trying to obviously get players out the door so that they can bring players in. I think they're going to be a hive of transfer activity before the end of the season. Defensively, Koulibaly, great signing, but who's he going to line up with? You know, loss, Rudiger's a massive loss. Um, you know, Aspilicueta might go, Alonso might go, Sars on his way out. I just think at the moment there's so much uncertainty with Chelsea. Um, but I think the window that they're going to have between now and the end of, of, of the transfer window would be quite exciting for Chelsea fans because I think they're going to keep bidding for players and I think they're going to... Um, I think they, they know that, that, well, the manager knows that he needs to, to bulk that defence up for sure or else they're going to be wide open despite the attacking prowess that they have. So where you got them, Troy? 15th? <laughs> <laughs> well, you'll be surprised to note, Max. Um, I have them down in sixth at the moment. Sixth? I have, sixth. Wow, I have them third, Nadem. Yeah, I'm with Troy. I have them sixth. But that's just for everyone listening. This is whatever, the 3rd of August. This is the 3rd of August. So Absolutely. when they sign like the best players in the world over the next three, four weeks, please bear <laughs> that in mind. It's the 3rd of August when I said 6th. This is how it feels right now. Please, let's just, let us live. Barry? <laughs> I have them 5th. All right. Um, they open 5.30 uh, on Saturday against Everton. 
Uh, Crystal Palace then came 12th last season. They brought in Czech Decore, a, a football manager regen name, if ever there was one. Uh, and Chris Richards from Bayern Munich. Uh, a, a lot, Troy, and I'll come to you, you know, as a team close to your heart, rests on, you know, filling the Conor Gallagher-shaped hole. And we maybe could have touched on what he might do for Chelsea as well, because he's a wonderful player. Yeah, I think they can do that. I mean, yes, Gallagher was amazing last season, but they had a, a young man in Eberichi Eze who was coming off of a a really significant injury and they didn't see the best of him last year. He was just coming back to kind of himself in regards to fitness and form when the season ended. I've already seen some of his highlights in pre-season and he looks like he's back to, to where they Patrick Vieira would want him to be, to be totally honest. So I'm excited for this Palace side. It's probably one of the sides that the most sides I'm excited about, to be totally honest. Um, it is second season for Vieira, but I, he knows the Premier League. I think he's got those players playing in a style and a, and a, and a way that is very, very easy on the eye. Um, turning those draws, as mentioned, into, into wins would be great. And I think Zaha is in the last year of his contract as well. So what is he going to do? Is he is he going to be outstanding because he wants that big lucrative move? Or is he going to be outstanding because, you know, he wants that new deal back on the table that, that creates his kind of... Well, he's already got a legacy at Palace, but you know, that creates his kind of set in stone kind of, uh, you know, thing for Palace fans. So I'm excited for them. Um, I think they beat Arsenal on Friday night again. Remember what they did. Arsenal will go in there with a little bit of fear of what happened uh, last season. And and yeah, I've just got a lot of time for Vieira and the way that he's obviously done things at Palace and recreated this new identity um, once he took over Roy. And I think that they can look forward to a really, really exciting time this year again. I was reading about Decore, Barry, and, and the, the Lens, the Lens skipper said he was irreplaceable um, uh, and has been compared to Pat, Patrick Vieira as a player and a bit to, to N'Golo Kante as well. It's quite useful. And they've got so many exciting young players, haven't they? Yeah. Uh, my only reservation about Palace, I think they'll do well. Uh, I am eighth. I think they will kick on from last season. Is Their, their pre-season seemed to be a bit of a mess insofar as they went to Australia but could only bring, was it nine senior players? Because quite a number of their players, very key players, haven't had their vaccines. So they, they couldn't travel to Australia under the rules as they stood at the time. And I worry that that might be a p- potential problem, that that their pre-season was a, a bit of a shambles. But otherwise, I, I think they'll be f- they will do well. Um, um, I've got them 12th. What about you, yeah, I've got them 12th as well. I think um, that, I don't know, I suppose in some ways you need to get better to kind of stay the same, if that makes sense in the Premier League, because everyone else around you is also getting better. And I think under Patrick Vieira, I think he's going to really put his mark down on the team, especially this year, because he would have seen the work of the last year, seen the, the ups and downs and all that stuff and seen the player turnover that came at the start of last season. And now he wants it to almost feel like this is this is his this is his long term. So I think they'll be slightly different in their approach. And I also wouldn't be surprised if, say, certain players which we're used to seeing don't play as much this year. Because I think as as he gains more power and there's more and there's more trust in him, I think he'll try and represent, he'll try and get that team to represent what he really believes should work as opposed to the players who he feels they should be playing. And also, what blew my mind, again, so they were like Brighton, how they drew a lot of games, but they lost the same amount of games as Man United. They lost one game less than Arsenal and only lost one game more than Spurs. So how's like 
But those why are teams did, who were like why, battling for the top Why didn't they four. finish higher? Yeah, well, how, did, how did that It's like the 15, 15 draws. This is the yeah. thing, 15 draws. It's an incredible amount of draws. And I think for him, he'll be trying to address some of those issues because it's good being hard to beat. But sometimes you'd rather trade off of being a team that, you know, you just know when you're going to win. And where have you got them, Troy? I've I've gone eighth. Eighth, eighth, twelfth, twelfth. All right, uh, that'll do for part two. Part three begins with Everton. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. Everton then, 16th last year. They brought in James Tarkovsky and Dwight McNeil from Burnley. Uh, Ruben Venegra, um, the former Wolves player as well, uh, who was at Sporting. Richarlison's gone. Troy, you're the man on the inside. Can they stay up? Listen, I've, I've, I've still got massive concerns, if you don't mind. Losing Richarlison is massive. Um, you don't just replace him with one player. I think Dwight McNeil's going to be an exciting player for, for Everton, despite his stats, Barry. Um, <laughs> but you, you, lose, you, you lose a lot with Richarlison, a lot of goals. Um, uh, and I think with Dominic Calvert-Lewin, who we've just heard yesterday as potentially missing the opening game of the season now with another injury. So he's in that period, Dominic, where he can't get out of this injury phase. Um, I don't know who they're going to play up top on 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 um, Saturday night. So the signings have been good, but you know, at the moment, Everton have been linked with every Chelsea player that is available going at the moment, and uh, it, it's let, let's just put this into context. Their, their budget's not great; they can't sign everybody. This is not the Everton of a few seasons ago. Um, they're going to have to wheel and deal. There's not much to sell, so they've done Richarlison. There's not much to sell at that football club. And I'm, I just think they're going to be in the same kind of situation that they were in for a large part of last season. Um, Frank's tactics came into play last year, but, you know, I think it was overshadowed by the fact that the home fans, who I keep mentioning, drove them on in, in certain amount of games. But listen, I do worry that they're going to be disappointed again at the moment. It's not, does it look like it's going to be an exciting season for Everton? I think you'll get the games where they are exciting. I think you'll get the games where they do drive on, like the Crystal Palace game, you know, that that kind of nailed their survival. But I just worry that there's there's not enough in the bank at the moment for them as a squad and as a team to to drive further up the table. Given it's interesting what you say, Troy, about actually, you know, there, there shouldn't be much hope there. And given where what their where their squad is and the players that they need to bring in, perhaps players they need to get rid of, like where should they be finishing, Nadem? Like, like, because we, because Lampard will be under pressure early if they don't get off to a good start. But actually, there are lots of good teams in the Premier League, and Everton aren't really one of them. <laughs> that, that's Max Rushton. That's Max. That's Max yeah, Rushton. Everybody, that was not me. No, but I what I'm trying to do is, I'm trying no, to give, I'm trying to give Frank Lampard a yeah. bit of a bit of a well, pass. Let's, in a let's way, put it this way. So a year ago, I remember I was speaking with Seamus Coleman, and he said that their ambitions for the season was to qualify for Europe. He looks around. He looked at the squad around him. He had Rafa Benitez in place. Said we should finish in Europe. And if we don't finish in Europe, that's a big disappointment. Obviously, those words did not age very well at all. But 
last season for where they finished, if you looked at the players that they had, would you not say that they underperformed? Or would you say they performed to their maximum and they just stayed up? No, I mean, they've got players who are good, right? You know, they've got Decore, Alan, right? You know, so if people, so if people have underperformed... Andros Townsend is a very good player, obviously. Yeah, of course, yeah, of course. So uh, if you have people that have underperformed and they finished like 16 for whatever it was, then surely they have to be aiming high, thinking that if they can control their own individual performance and things can be lined up a bit better, have a bit better form, better discipline, you know, fewer injuries and the like, they they have to expect that they're going to do better than that. I think it's it's this, this, again, it's this sort of pre-season hope versus reality thing. Like they are a better side and they can perform better, but they're probably 15, 16 teams who have ambitions of finishing positions inside the top 10. But like, it's just not going to be the case. But I don't, I don't think Everton, I think, I think Everton can stay up. But then at the start of the season, I don't think they're thinking about just staying up because they have players in their team who've done well in the past. So why would they not believe they can do well again in a manager who maybe they understand better and have a better connection with? So, you know, this is, again, this, this is probably going to be a really terrible taking time, but I can see them finishing maybe like 13 for something like that. Not having a really, really great season, never really touching the top 10 at all, but in the same breath, not really being that close to a bottom three. But then I guess it's just existing in the Premier League and maybe that's the season they need after the stress that they went through last season. Yeah, I've got them 14th. Barry, thoughts? Um, I have them 14th. I, I think, I look at Everton and I, I was do my, my homework and I just have a list of questions like is Frank Lampard any good why do so many people want to see him fail um can Deli Ali rediscover his mojo I think Lampard and Jesse Marsh at Leeds are both kind of in a similar position in that they were both parachuted in last season with their respective new teams in a mess they both did enough to keep them up and now this is the season we will see what they're made of. Uh, and both of them seem to have a, a, an awful lot of detractors who want to see them flop. Marsh because he's an American and Frank Lampard because he's Frank Lampard. They're trying to sign Idris Gaye again. That looks like it's going to go through, doesn't it, as a, as a midfielder. So he, he will probably return. Um, I think defensively, uh, defence was a massive problem last year. You know, set pieces was a problem. Yes, um, Tuskowski will come in and, and try and help with that problem. But I do think that they need to probably uh, get another centre-back, if you want me to be totally honest. And um, like I said, all the people that are, apparently they may be in for Conor Gallagher, um, you know, if he's, he's, if he's available on loan. Um, but they really need to look at the structure and knit that team together. Um, I think the centre-forward has to be. They've been linked with Batuai and then apparently that's not on the cards now. So they need another centre forward because it there's something wrong with Dominic Calvert-Lewin's body at the moment that, you know, it just breaks down during training. Um, and that may just be, listen, a little bit of unluck. You're going through a period and then your body becomes strong again. But, you know, they can't rely on one centre forward or Rondon who's suspended for the first game of the season um, and not available, you know. So um, there must be some kind of activity, loan signings, whatever that may be. Rondon, the greatest player in the world, must be a bit about 62. Must Can you be behave? Stuff. Can you behave um, and leave Rondon alone? Yeah. <laughs> Fulham uh, came first By in the, the championship. By the way, I've got them 14, Matt. You've got them 14. I've got them 14th, Matt. Yeah. Fulham uh, won the championship last year. They brought in Jao Palinha from Sporting. Uh, Pereira's coming from Manchester United as well. Uh, and uh, Mbabu from Wolfsburg. Uh, Snorky says, How doomed are Fulham? Totally or totally and utterly? Nadem. <laughs> um, I'm not going to. 
I'm going to say neither of those, actually. I don't, I don't think they are doomed as such. I think this is the time when they actually stay up for an extra season. I think this is it. And I, 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 it's just a feeling. It's just, just a feeling. And I think some of the signings, you can see, like, this transfer window has cost them a lot less than, say, ones which they did the last time in the Premier League. I think they spent $100 million plus or something. So they're not completely trying to redesign everything. Maybe they're trying to build on what they have. And I'm sure that at some point they'll have the stresses and the rigors of what it is to be in the Premier League again. But I think they... I think they'll be all right. I think whilst they've got Mitrovic, the greatest number nine in the history of football up there, capable of scoring 50 goals in the Premier League, you know, I think it gives them, I think it gives them a chance. <laughs> but honestly, like, for, they're in such an interesting situation because they've been up and down, up and down. And, you know, the first time you go up, you come up with excitement. The second time, you're like excited thinking we'll rectify this. Now the third time, they know they can't approach it like the first two times. So with that in mind, I think they're coming up with a, they're going to come up with a better mentality, a better understanding of, you know, the bigger mistakes that they made in key moments. And as a consequence, they're not going to try and play that type of football that they did in the championship. Whereas I think in times gone by in the Premier League, they felt like at times they tried to do that to their own detriment, not realising that basically every team in the Premier League is actually good. So I think they stay up this year and I think they'll make the switch from being dominant to competitive. And I think they finished 16th. Wow. Um, I, I'm not so confident. Marco Silva's not particularly happy at the moment Barry with the with the lack of business that they're doing yeah well he he was asked a question yesterday you know did he think he needed one or two more bodies in and he was sort of I think he need a lot more than that he was complaining that he only has two central defenders uh, one of whom is Tim Ream who we have seen before while a lovely lovely man is just not good enough to play in the Premier League he's too slow I have them rock bottom. Uh, I I think as things stand, with just looking at their squad, I I would have them relegated by February. <laughs> and uh, hang on, is that is that with the break as well? That's with the World Cup break. Oh my word! Oh wow! <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> what impact will the World Cup have? Nothing for Fulham because they just keep they'll lose every week, even though they're not playing in December. Um. And then, like Solanke at Bournemouth, will Mitrovic score many goals in the Premier League? He scored three the last time they were in the Premier League. Now, that was he, he was uh, not getting on well with Scott Parker. They fell out. He scored 11 the season before that in the Premier League. So, yeah, if he can bang in a few goals, they might have a chance. But I, I think at the moment, considering the business they've done, I, I have them rock bottom. Troy? Yeah, I'm very similar to Barry. I've now got 20 teams in my league, so they are the official 19th one. Um, <laughs> Who was it? I'm not even going to tell you. because I'm not, oh, I'm Come not gonna... on, you've got to say. I've been, I've been honest. Who was it? It was Everton. <laughs> Everton. <laughs> Maybe because I didn't know where to put them, but yeah, yeah please forgive me. That's really good. Um you know, they've lost the young lad, Cavallio, um, who again, you know, was a creative spark in that side and, you know, scored goals as well. I, I'm just not sure what's what much has changed, as, as much changed. The Premier League has got better, more competitive. Um, and how are they going to adapt to that? Again, they're one of those sides. I don't even, I'm not even sure the transfer window, what is left in the transfer window could help them. I, I just think they're going to struggle again. I don't think they're going to adapt very well. They're very much like a Norwich City to me. You know, they're, they're, a, they're a, a defined yo-yo team now. Um, Mitrovic, 
I do like him as a player. I like the way that he struts about sometimes. He gets in between centre-halves and upsets them and gets upset a lot himself. But I'm not sure if the Premier League is the one for him. So, yeah, I've got them in 19th place. Leeds have lost Rafinha. They've lost Calvin Phillips. Jesse Marsh has replaced, replaced them with half of the Bundesliga. Barry, what do you uh, what do you think will happen to Leeds? One of the ones that I'm really just don't know. Uh, none of, Jesse Maris has brought in a lot of new signings, none of whom have Premier League experience. Does that matter? I don't know. If they hit the ground running, Leeds may well do well. Last season, they were injury ravaged. They more or less ha- didn't have Patrick Bamford at all last season. He, he he only played a handful of games. If they can keep him fit, that will be a huge factor. But can they keep him fit? Because he just seems to be very injury prone. Uh, again, it's another imponderable. But I I would be very surprised if there aren't three teams worse than them. Uh, I don't expect them to pull up too many trees, but I have them... Oh, actually, I am 16th. <laughs> so <laughs> not great, but I, I think they'll be fine. Yeah, it is hard to do 10th to 17th, isn't it? I have them 15th, Nadem. Well, it's like Troy says, basically, from my 7th down to 17th, you could just throw them in the air and let them fall wherever. I don't think it could make much difference. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Probably 18th, I think you can do that. What do you think of Leeds, Nadem? Yeah, you said 18, and I think 18. Um, but again, like, it's, it's very easy to be wrong in around this stage because so many, so many teams are basically exactly the same. You know, if they go on a bad run, have a couple of bad injuries, then it makes perfect sense. Whereas if they're in good health and start off really well, you sound like the most stupid person on planet Earth. But with those signings that he's brought in, they are a bit younger. They don't really have that Premier League experience. And when you see the way that Leeds were sort of playing last season, obviously with the injuries and stuff, like I don't expect them to be pulling up any trees, as you mentioned. And also with Leeds, like that's a very, very passionate fan base. Let's put it this way. I remember... When I was at QPR, we played Leeds' first game of the season uh, in London. And, like, they were booing Chris Wood within 20 minutes of the game starting. So, realistically, like, it's a new season, but is it a new season? So, some of the stress and trauma of years gone by, if things don't start well, before you know it, that could probably get toxic quicker than other places. So, I'm not 100% sold on that. And I hope Jesse Marsh does well. But... I just don't see enough for Leeds as it stands, even with the signings that they've brought in. But I'll be interested to see what Brendan Harrison's like because he's been raved about in the US and a little bit in Europe as well. So let's see it. Uh, where do you have them, Troy? I've got them 17th um, in my official table. Um, <laughs> I just I just think losing Calvin Phillips and Rafinha is massive. Many will say that Phillips didn't have uh, a big impact last season, but... I just think they're much of a muchness. I think that, again, they're one of those clubs where the fan base might drive them on and get points where maybe they may not have done. Um, but I think they'll be very, very similar to last year. Very similar to last year. But they'll survive. Uh, all right, then. Um, before we go for this one, um, Nadim and Troy, I want your top four and your bottom three. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Uh, or, you, know, you can do your top six then, why not? What, what's your top six, Troy? Chelsea sixth, Man United fifth, Arsenal fourth, Tottenham third. Liverpool second and Man City top. Nadim, do the same, please. Uh, okay, so I know how this is going to sound. I know criticism is going to get levelled at me straight away, but just so you're aware, I don't care. So uh, <laughs> Chelsea are in sixth. 
Arsenal are in fifth. Man United are in fourth. Spurs are in third. Man City in second and Liverpool first. All right. And your bottom three, um, I think, have we had all of Who have we had? Have we had all of yours? I can't remember. Uh, Nadim, uh, Nadim, who are you relegating? Uh, I'm relegating Leeds in 18. Then I'm going Bournemouth in 19, Forest in 20. Forest. Uh, yeah, that's interesting. Oh, wow. And Troy? Can I just apologise to my Brentford friends? Yeah, of course you Please. can. Please. Yeah. I've got Brentford in 18th. Um, and again, there is some time of the transfer window left. I've got Fulham in 19th and Bournemouth uh, rock bottom. Well, look, Nadam Troy, thank you so much. Um, uh, I'll, I'll do it individually. I like doing that. Troy, thank you for your time. <laughs> Absolute pleasure, Max. Thank you. Great to be back. Nadam, thank you. Great to speak to you, sir. Uh, cheers, Barry. Thank you. Uh, Simon Burns and Jonathan Wilson, join me and Barry uh, to look at the second half of the alphabet tomorrow. Uh, Football Weekly was produced by Joel Grove. Our executive producer is Max Sanderson. This is The Guardian. 